for dinner today? Uh, for her, it was uh, pasta and uh, cucumbers. Nice. What's for you? It sounds like there's something different. It was a veggie burger that she wouldn't eat. <laughs> that's parenting. <laughs> that's that's why I was kind of behind in like trying to figure out whether I'd be here on time. But, yeah. How was the veggie burger? Uh, you know, it wasn't very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> is she the vegetarian in the family or is it the whole? Uh, I am actually. And it was, um, but uh, she, and she is too. Um, but my wife is an omnivore. Um, but it wasn't an amazing veggie burger. Anyways. Okay. Fair enough. Just, you know, when you have a kid, you try to expand their palate. And so there's certain go-to things for her like pasta, but uh, yeah. And cucumbers. Um, but uh, whatever. I'm always trying to do, you know, it would be really nice if I could kind of interest her more in, she'll eat a lot of vegetables, but I'd like, I'd like to hurt it like salads more. And uh, sure. but anyways, she's, yeah, she's eight and she's, has some very definite uh, ideas of what is food and what is not food. Yeah, I think all parents, we want our kids to eat healthy stuff, although I've, I've never sort of eaten healthy at all. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, like, right, I got this beside me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, who am I to tell my son, eat your veggies? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I'm kind of interested in, you know, I believe that you uh, – I think trying to force it isn't going to work. So like I try to set an example and I try to like, you know, I make edamame, she eats it. I mean, I, I do different things and you know, like I'm so, it's always really interesting to me how much of the lunch I made, she, you know, how successful it was. Right. And, uh, mm. and I have a pretty high, I, I do pretty good, you know, um, in terms of, uh, I don't mind the things that we rotate and it's not a big deal, but I do want to expand her palate because it is mostly potatoes rice yeah pasta are like the main things for her tofu uh sushi oh look um, at that sushi like, like a rice tofu kind of sushi but yeah. anyways nice i always always had always had the rule with my kids my kids are in their 20s now and yeah. uh we're a blended family two households my kids were quite open to various foods kel's kids were not when we first got together and so we always had a rule that on the fridge, I think, Kareem, I've told you this before, we always had a rule on the fridge was a list of the three foods you didn't have to eat. Well, you, you had to have a bite, but there were three foods you didn't have to eat. And if you took off one, like say ricotta was on one of the kids' lists because they didn't like the texture, you could remove ricotta. But if you removed it, you couldn't put it back. And that was all the way through the, from when they were little all the way up and to they did now to this day as 20 something year olds, they all laugh about this list that they used to have to adhere and they, they wow. tell their, their friends about anyway. just a way to get them to try different things. Right. And to not go yeah. back to their regular, I won't eat that. I won't eat that. But anyway. Yeah. I, I do catch myself using it in ways that I don't think I should like, yeah. Okay. You can stay up, but you have to eat this or things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. We could fix that. You ready? What? I'm going to record it. You ready? Well, I'm recording anyways. Hi. what? Hi. My name is not Bob Wiseman. 
Welcome to the music. That is, that is, are, are you forcing her, not forcing her, but it is similarly how you're um, experimenting and, 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 and hoping that she uh, experiments with her food and tries new things. Um, seeing that you're a musician, are you doing the same thing with music with her? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I tried to show her music right away from jump and, uh, and, and if she wasn't interested, that's fine. But, but then I would like, you know, if she got into Frozen or whatever thing, I would say like, here, listen. And I would play the melody of the thing that she liked, hoping that she would go, shit, you know, how do you do that? And like, and, um, and there would be a bit of that kind of uh, excitement at the beginning. But, but then the, the work of playing it, the mental energy of doing that would be a turnoff. And that's kind of a, an area that interests me quite a lot part of the book that I have coming out with ECW press kind of a lot, a lot of the stories in there go off on, on some of those experiences of teaching and of, uh, and that, that interesting kind of position of consciousness really, because that's, that's really what it is or that's what interests me is like, how do I uh, get this person, whether it's an adult or a kid to kind of, to just to cross the bridge into where they're trying to get. Cause a lot of people just, they get up to the first part of the bridge and it's rocking over uh, and it's high up in the air and they're like, Oh, fuck it. Forget it. You know? And it's like, mm. and you, it's like, you've crossed it a million times. It's like, you know, no, the bridge, it works. <laughs> and then it's like, you're just trying to figure out how to reassure someone that how to hold their hand or how to, well, exactly how to get them to just walk across the fucking bridge. But um, it's just not, anyways, it's kind of uh, fun. So anyways, um, at a certain point, one day, one of her friends was taking piano lessons and she saw like footage of her friend playing Mary Had Little Lamb in front of people at like one of those events with kids playing. And then yeah. boom, she wanted to kind of learn it. And I'm like, yeah. And so, and that was like a really interesting one to me too, of like realizing, okay, really peer pressure is like huge. Mm. And if there is a way that I can, how can I capitalize on that? How can I help her you know, and of course, it's not about just like manipulation. If she's not into it, that's fine. But um, and then again, I, and then I have to, and then I have conversations with other musical friends, and and most of us realize, oh, you know, none of us, none of us were really off to the races as five and six year olds. Like a lot of people started <laughs> playing when they were more like after ten years old. And I'm like, right, okay, no sweat. Like, uh, she might come to this now or later on. You know, if she even does. So do you, there's a, there's a, um, a, a passage in your book, I think earlier on <clears throat> where you are, you're, you're talking to a student and by the way, are these, are these real? Like some of these back and forth with you and students or are these stuff you make up? Uh, both. Both. Okay. So there's a story where you're, you're coaxing your student to to like experiment and I think play just on the black keys or something like that. Sure. So I'm wondering if, do you teach the same way? Like, do you start with the basics? Mary had a little lamb or right away. Are you saying press that key in the middle of all of this? Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of just, you know, people are different. I like, I kind of, I get a sense of who the person is and you know, like chemistry happens between people. So just things just 
percolate inside me when I meet someone and they tell me about what they want to do or, or why we're, why they, why they called me. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they call me, will already identify certain things that they wish they could do. It's very, it, it does happen sometimes that someone is just like, show me anything you want, but it's very, but that's more unusual. So, uh, sorry, the short answer to your question yeah. is no, <laughs> there's not a, 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 a same template that okay. I can use with everybody. Yeah, yeah. So you're not necessarily teaching. Here's Johnny. He's seven years old. I want him to learn piano. It's more, you know, here's my son, Johnny. He's taken lessons for five years, but I want him to sort of go in a different direction. He wants more. Is that the sort of kids that it's you not really? I mean, it's more adults that I work with. I teach okay. at the University of Western. I teach songwriting and I teach other adults privately improvisation or songwriting. Ah. But, but it kind of just organically happened <laughs> about maybe four years ago because I was never really interested in teaching little kids at all. But, but then it became a, but I, I, there were always would be some calls from people who knew that I teach and, and that would ask if I, you know, would you ever consider it? And I generally would say no. But then once I had a kid and once uh, at a certain point I realized, Oh, this could be a play date. Um, like, a and play dates are a real big deal when a little person is four, five, six, three. And so then I started teaching, uh, three kids at once uh, the, with her, with my daughter. And, and, uh, so, and that just, and, and after, and then as they, as life went on and they went to different schools or whatever, and it, and the, and the trio was broken up, I continued to work with those other, with those two kids, which led to some other kids too, because I found it really stimulating. Cause I found it really, huh. it's just, it's a, it's a really different position to work with a kid than to work with an adult as a teacher, because, um, uh, you know, well, the power dynamic is so different and, uh, and, um, and cause I, and I really, cause I really enjoy, you know, respecting the kid's agency. And, and I, I really like playing this game of, uh, of the problem is me, not them, you know? So, you oh. know, this is how you play that sequence and they can't get it. To me, the answer isn't to yell at them, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, how the fuck, how do, how, do, how do I get them? It's, you know, it's up to me. Am I, if I'm any good, then I should be able to figure out how to get them to figure that out. And it's amazing how they just won't do, like they'll do fingering that is going to be painful to them. And uh, sometimes, and, uh, and I think, and I have a feeling that there aren't a lot of people like me who don't necessarily kind of get upset and try to correct their fingering if they won't correct it, you know, because I stop and I kind of do think about adults I know who do wacky fingering and whatnot. And it's like, mm -hmm. That's just not, it's not about, you know, like I think lots of adults feel like sc screaming at kids when they're not getting their way, the adult, huh. you know, or feel like getting heavy and telling them the rules. And they, they do it with other adults too. All sorts of people tell mm, students that are older, this is how Bach means it. As though, and Bach's been dead for 200 years. I mean, they <laughs> fuck off that you know how Bach means it. <laughs> but, they, but they will be filled with a sense that they know. And that <laughs> happens all the time in medicine, in 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 architecture, you know, wherever you go in, in, you know, radio etiquette, like you'll have people that'll just say, this is the way it has to be, asshole. If you don't know, you know, like, as though they are an authority on it. And if you know anything, you know that no one is, you know, that anyone can reinvent things all the time. That is hilarious. How did, how did you get introduced to music? Uh, musical family. Okay. Tell me about that. Father, mother, everyone. Yeah. Um, well, my mother, uh, no, my dad, um, my dad didn't play, but uh, I have uh, three brothers and everybody played when I was growing up. I mean, I didn't realize it was not the kind of usual <laughs> situation. 
Um, okay. So, but uh, we jammed together and I'm the youngest. And so they had instruments and I would use pot lids cause uh, you know, and uh, it was awesome. That, that, that was really great. And I, we, we used to perform for our relatives and, uh, and I played my, the brother closest to me in age basically uh, taught me how to play. And, uh, and I had a, I, I happened to be really fortunate that it was a, a great situation because he wanted, he was into the blue, into blues piano and he was into really beautiful, authentic players like Otis Spann and Memphis Slim and Pine Top, Top Perkins. And, uh, and there was also a lot of classical music played in my house. And there was a lot of other uh, interesting, and, and, and my brothers were all born in the 50s. I was born in the 60s. So all their records were largely the Beatles and Dylan. And uh, it was awesome. Like the, the stuff that the library I grew up with. And anyways, my brother put me, gave me kind of put me in charge of playing the bass lines to blues songs so that he could solo. Um, so I kind of learned, you know, I, I felt, I mean, it was probably a matter of two years, but in my child mind, it was like years I spent playing the blues with my brother who was five years older than me watching him solo and, uh, uh, and trying to absorb um, the swiftness and the kind of insight that he had musically. And uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And then uh, later in life, I became a lot, lot more interested in improvisational music. Uh, I was really under the spell of Keith Jarrett in a big way um, as a teenager. And then I moved to, uh, I'm from Winnipeg, and I moved to York University to study music with a guy there who was kind of a famous teacher of uh, improvisational music, Casey Sokol. And uh, yeah, I guess that's my early uh, musical development. And so from, from there, like, you know, you're as infamous for your arrangements as you are your playmanship, showmanship and, and that, um, like, how did, how did that, did that, did that come about as you were growing up? Did that come out in later years or like, how did what come about? Um, like your, your arrangements, like, like your, your, my musical arrangements. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it, uh, came about from. Well, like inspiration wise or like who, who was that during university and experimenting or. No, I mean, I think it's just like you or anyone else. It's just being a, being a music fan predominantly, but, but uh, like there's this thing that happens once you start recording, once you become someone who goes into recording studios. And I guess now, I mean, maybe that's now going on way more than ever before because everyone has a recording studio now with a computer. So, (laughs) but, 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 but up, up until then, you know, Mm -hmm. it was a much more exclusive uh, opportunity. So uh, when Blue Rodeo started and when I suddenly I was in recording studios Mm -hmm. and suddenly you're hearing things um, multi-tracked and you're starting to understand, you just start to understand how to listen. You know, even if I loved certain songs as a younger person, and what I thought was the arrangements of them. Once I started working in recording studios, I started, you know, visual artists, they do life drawing. And you're like, and you ask them, like, why do you do that? You know, like, uh, like, like they work with skeletons sometimes. It's like, what's that all about? And, and they look at you like, you don't get it. You know, like I have, <laughs> I have to understand how the, the body, I have to understand the clavicle. I have to understand the tibia. I have to understand all that just to draw somebody's arm or someone's leg, even though I'm not drawing the tibia. And it's like, whether that makes sense to you or not, it's the same thing. Like learning to isolate tracks, 
to learning to kind of just only hear the hi-hat part the whole time in that song you heard 10 million times. Now, when you're in the studio, you realize, oh my God, there's the, the way the drummer's playing the bell, the way the, I can, you, you start to see the microphone where it's placed in terms of the amplifier and how you're hearing that Rizzy sound. So anyways, um, those things start to add up. And I think that um, is a big part of what uh, inspired my analyzation and interest in, uh, in arranging music and in, in methods of arranging music. Uh, you start to kind of analyze why things work and, and then you start to maybe imitate some of those things, hopefully not rip them off, but like, but start to listen and realize, Oh, you know, at the end of raindrops came coming, come, uh, raindrops are falling on my head. They broke into five. Oh, isn't that hilarious? I never realized that. But now huh. with everything I've done, I realized, oh, okay, so I'm going to do, I'm going to change the meter of a song in the outro just because, because Burt Bacharach did that. And I think that's cool, you know? So uh, anyways, I'm pretty stimulated with musical arrangements. And I, as a producer, I, I, I like to think that uh, part of what I bring to the, table with the artists I work with is um, uh, 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 an excitement and, uh, and a lot of experience in, in arrangement because because anyone can call themselves a producer and and lots of people do who don't do what turns me on as a producer a lot of people are just engineers and call themselves producers but to me a producer arranges does does arrangements that should hopefully you know freak you out <laughs> <laughs> So I'm wondering, as 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 a producer and somebody who likes, uh, I can't remember that that phrase that you used, uh, but uh, the the type of music that 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 uh, that sort of took you to York University. But so as a producer, do you do you listen to music the way you used to, like as as a kid enjoying music, or do you listen to music and go, shit, I would have done that differently, or yeah, I like what the producer did on that one. Yeah, all those. All of them? All of those. You know, like, I mean, you know, it's like you, you have the experience yourself, no doubt, where you see other people interviewing people and you realize, oh, they're, in, they're interrupting the guy they're talking to. I would never do that. Or, or, or you see, or you realize that like, oh, they, they, they made a transition into talking about this area seamlessly or whatever. I mean, whatever yeah, you're field, right. field, you start to admire other, you, 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 you gain expertise. So you start to notice other expertise. So it's up to you. You can still have the experience of watching it as though you're ignorant, but but yeah. it's but it's not it's not it's not not fun that you know a lot and can watch it knowing a lot. You know, that is so true. You recently went back to York to do a master's in environmental studies. Yeah, that's almost totally random. But the more I read about you, it's like, oh, yeah, of course you would do that. <laughs> but I want to ask why. Um, well, I. Uh, I'm trying to position myself to uh, to work as a teacher in the university system. Okay, uh, I'd like to kind of, I'd like to try and find that kind of job. So you got to have the paper, basically. Uh, so I'm doing I'm doing a PhD now um, in oh. in Guelph at a place called the International Institute for Critical Studies in Improvisation, which is a mouthful. And um, I was going <laughs> to ask if you made up that name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it's called the I-I-C-S-I. Um, so, so that's, that's why. Um, the, um, the environmental studies, I knew about the environmental studies program for a while. I'd met other people that were students of it. And um, I met some of them at my shows who were fans of some of the songs and things that I was doing. 
and the more I talked to them about what they were doing, the more it resonated with me. Um, and my work as a musician <laughs> uh, and a songwriter, uh, I, I don't know if I, uh, I don't know if I would find a home in the music departments as oh. easily as I would in the environmental studies department because they are way more wackadoodle. Like they are way, way more about the inner environment as well as the outer environment. And plus people could do their final project. They could write, they could write a series of songs for their final project. They could write a play. They could make a film. They could do all sorts of more off the wall uh, ways to render their final work. And music school would be, ordinary straight kind of music school stuff and I kind of just felt I've already lived a lot of life in the music world and do I want to be in a position where I'm discussing uh you know a 13th chord or you know or what Mozart wore on Tuesdays I, I just kind of <laughs> I want to I want to do something else that has to do with trauma and songwriting huh. Oh, that's, that's that I didn't think would fit in music school, but I realized all these environmental studies people they, they're totally into it. They and I and they were as soon as I brought up the different kinds of things that interested me, they were like, "Oh yeah, sure, that's really cool." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, good." So it's as simple as that. You found a home. Yeah, and I hope I find uh, another home now in the uh, uh, PhD world, and then uh, I hope I can find some kind of. Uh, I am teaching right now at the, at the University of Western just one course songwriting and uh and it's very stimulating and it's really fun and that's the sort of area that i you know want to uh do more work in and this book on ecw press like when i you know i started writing uh, like a daily writing thing uh about four years ago and then when i went into york to do the masters i kind of thought okay i'm not going to be able to do the writing anymore every day because going back to school, there's going to be a bunch more work that I'm going to have to do. Everyone's telling me, oh man, it's going to be really hard. You're going to have to be writing all sorts of papers. And they're all telling me all these ideas that are making me think, okay, I guess I can't continue to do this other writing thing that I like. But as it turned out, I pulled it off and it wasn't uh, so crazy. And I had a lot of fun continuing with my uh, personal writing. And uh, so I lost the thread. I don't know why I was saying all that, but uh, <laughs> okay. When you you were talking about in terms of with, with for your your schooling, you know, mixing in or mixing with people who are doing visual and musical and that kind of thing, like you're you're well known for mixing that in your performances. That's right, now, right? right? So is that? I mean, I'm sure that was part of it. So like, how did how did you get into mixing all that together? Well, I've always loved. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how I got into it, but I've always loved all the arts. I mean, being from a smaller place, once I got to Toronto, you know, Toronto's never lost, you know, it's a uh, stimulation factor, you know, how much sure. theater and dance and film and music and painting is, is going on here. So, and I, and I've always, and I haven't really met a lot of other people in those places like me who's, who, who jump around between a lot of the different things, you know, more often than not, the musicians go to the music things and the dancers go to the dance things. But, mm -hmm. but I, uh, and I'm not like an expert in any of those other things, but I've always been a fan. So, uh, at a certain point in my own work, uh, maybe about 20 years ago, I, uh, was asked to participate in a, there used to be, um, a super eight film festival in Toronto called splice this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh. and they had, they had one night, in their programming that was 
dedicated to asking musicians to make movies that were like, you know, two minutes long or something like that. And I was kind of tickled with the request to participate. And I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, my dad had a camera store and we had a dark room growing up. We had a Super 8 uh, movie camera. I was like, sure, make a Super 8 film and play along with it. <clears throat> I'm up for that. And so, and I had a lot of fun making it. And um, and I had a lot of fun discovering all these kind of uh, wacky Super 8 artists um, at that festival. Some of them musicians, but most of them interesting visual art people. And I kind of just that that interest and and I thought and the film I made I thought was really clever and funny and nobody and everyone seemed to be just totally bored when it played and that really kind of pissed me <laughs> off so I kind of was like okay I, I kind of want I, I like I I I want to come back and see if I can like get do something better that like you know you know I want I want to see if I can hit it out of the ballpark like these other people that I there were two or three people that really just destroyed me with like how. Uh, amusing their work was particularly a guy named robert kennedy um so uh the so robert with, kennedy pardon me the robert kennedy well yeah, in toronto there's in a toronto, okay <laughs> yeah the, the yeah, toronto version he's a he's a filmmaker and, an, and a film editor and i think okay. an actor as well um yeah i i mean you know, uh, the Leslie Spitrio had a, there was a member of the Leslie Spitrio named Jack Nicholson. I mean, that's, that's too bad. <laughs> those people, you know, that, that, that happens in life. But anyways, so, uh, I started making films and that kind of morphed into making videos as well and making animations. And, um, and, and in the two thousands, I, I worked more solo than with a band, <clears throat> but I would travel with a screen and I would accompany, I started making films about my songs. And so I would accompany the, um, the film. And it was a very interesting experience of being kind of simultaneously the leader and the sideman. Mm -hmm. I'd be singing the song and I'd look out at the audience and they're all watching the film, even though I'm right here in front of them. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Yeah. Well, you talk a bit, you talk, some, you talk about that in, um, in, in this book. Uh, where you you guys go to a concert and you're sitting so far away that you just end up watching the screen, and you're not close enough to watch the performance. Huh. Um, I'm curious about that because you you I remember when we first started talking, we were supposed to be doing this in a bar, and yes. you were going to I think play play piano or play keys and show some 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 films at the same time. Um, yeah, exactly what I do. I was offering to do that. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? Is, is that an, is that just playing around with different things that, that interest you? Uh, well, my thoughts about it. Yes, it is about playing around with different things that interest me, but it's also about, you know, being in, uh, uh, 2020. It's also about the fact that, you know, um, we have, uh, a certain sophistication from so much um, performance experiences that uh, that that audiences are up for that and um, and the other thing is as a as a someone who like writes songs that are about what I say <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I've had the experience many times in life of of no of realizing that people don't get it that like you know don't get the lyrics in this in this in the eye they're getting part of it and i know it as an audience member to to take things in uh really kind of brings 
more people directly, I think. Interesting. Um, sorry if, if, there, if we seem to be uh, pausing a lot. There's, uh, there's, a, there's a glitch on, on one of our sides. So we'll, fi- we'll fix that when we, when we save this and record it or, or, or upload it. Um, I wanted to ask you, Bob, sure. about this instrument. Um, interesting. When I yeah. first took a look at it, I go, why is there a suitcase opened up filled with cassettes? And then I had to stare at it. I go, oh, that oh shit, that, those, those are, that's, that's his keyboard. Um, there's a yeah. story here, I'm sure. I used, to, I used to, I had a, more than one keyboard, but I used to paint them all the time, mostly because uh, it was fun and because, you know, you buy these things and they usually cost more money than a musician has. And then the, visually, so it's about my ear and listening while I play. And, uh, and, the, and the bottom, I used to play sometimes with beer bottles um, in my solos. And so the bottom notes are broken from, it's not a good technique, basically. Um, ah. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, there were just a few pictures that the ECW Press just grabbed a few pictures that they saw online and asked what I thought of them. And, and uh, you know, uh, they basically a lot of the ideas, the artwork, the design and things like that, a lot of it is, is those guys, what they wanted to do. I was kind of just uh, uh, cool with like, sure, go ahead. You like that? Okay. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> this, as, as I was reading some of these uh, passages, it reminded me a lot with, uh, I'm assuming he's a friend of yours, Ron Sexsmith. Yes. Um, his tweets, whenever I come across them, just crack me up. Um, and I know you've worked together. Um, I'm curious how, how the two of you became buddies. Well, uh, we became friends at Open Stages. Okay. Do you guys have the, do you find you guys have the same sense of humor? No. No? <laughs> no, I, no I, I know the tweets you're talking about. To, I, and uh, they're like, uh, I mean, I think, he, I think he's drawn to making like a wordplay jokes. Yeah, yes. And, uh, no, to me, they're pretty much like a dad humor. <laughs> Uh, so you, as, as a father, you must enjoy them. Uh, no, not really. As a father, <laughs> I'm a little allergic to it. <laughs> oh my goodness! I, I, because I, again, that's probably why I asked you earlier on: Are these true stories, or are you, uh, as the English would say, are you taking a Mickey out of us? Well, it, it, it's both. Like I said, and and some of the things that are, uh, yeah, it's both. But yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I'm more, I'm not, I'm more interested in, uh, I'm more interested in like allegories about, about the pursuit of music and altered states. That's kind of what I'm, what I think I'm writing about more often than not. I'm, I'm looking at the different intersections that happen in my music identity, whether it's doing music for a film or whether it's teaching a kid or whether it's producing a record or whether it's standing in front of an audience uh, that's large or minuscule. And, and I'm kind of, pivoting from those experiences that are um that are not a stretch of the imagination because they are real experiences that happen to me and i'm I'm looking at that and like and excuse me and and how you can like you know uh you can how you can choose to not freak out just because the club owner said that they were going to pay you this much and they didn't you know mm. but that that you can also choose to not freak out when the studio that said you could use it at eight o'clock suddenly tells you that you can't like, like I'm just looking at how everything's the same. So that, I guess that's, uh, it's not, it's not like a, 
um, a book of jokes. It's more, that's, that's kind of more what interests me is like writing about uh, consciousness. I think that's what interests me the most. Yeah. So, you sort of take a look at a thing a certain way as, as I would say, how you're almost meant to look at it. And you sort of take a step away and, and, and go around the corner and say, ah, this is how it looks like from another perspective. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. How did you, um, how did the book deal come about? Um, they, uh, they read uh, my stuff online and they said they wanted to put, asked me if I'd like to put a book out. And I was like, I, you know, I was like flattered. I said, but it already is out. <laughs> it's, sure. I put it online every day. You know, like, uh, and they're like, yeah, but we would like to put some, we would like to make a book. I'm like, sure. Awesome. Uh, so there's about 3000, uh, excerpts and they took 500. Um, so, you know, maybe there'll be another one. It's, it's hilarious. You've got a passenger passage in here called a few good men. Um, I don't know if you remember this one, but it's about, uh, I, I guess the way we hear songs and lyrics when we're younger and then when we're older. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you talk about um, brown sugar. You say, I am an oatmeal guy. When Jack, when Mick Jagger sang brown sugar, how come he tastes so good? <laughs> I understood immediately. So my question to you is, did you understand? Like, there's, there's many ways to take that, 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 that lyric, right? You could, well, as I'm a making, kid. I'm making a joke that as a kid, I thought he was talking about oatmeal. Of and course. I thought he was talking about brown sugar. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, it was many, many years later that I realized... Oh, fuck. <laughs> I can't believe what he's saying. I can't believe that's on the radio. I mean, um, and so I think I gave a few examples of like the, yeah. your own child mind listening to music uh, versus like what it's about. You know, maybe Court and Spark might have been another one or something from Joni Mitchell. But yeah, Joni Mitchell, uh, Court and Spark. Yeah. That was that. Yeah. Or, I mean, or Free Man in Paris by Joni Mitchell. Also from the record Court and Spark. She, you know, as when I was a kid, I always thought she's calling herself a man and that's fine. You can do that in English. You can use, you know, I mean, uh, uh, many people don't anymore and try to say humankind instead of mankind. Sure. And a lot mm-hmm. of you know, women have put their foot down about like how shitty that feels when people use man as a catch-all. But I thought in my younger mind that when Joni Mitchell sung, I'm a free man in Paris, she was kind of, uh, appropriating man for herself and it was like years later that i realized oh it's about it's about david geffen it's about the guy that owned the record company that she was on and it's like oh it makes so much more sense understanding what it's all about and everything so that's just fun yeah yeah i mean that's another thing about sorry to cut you off but just consciousness the consciousness of listening yeah which which brings me back to sort of when when you're playing music and you want to show the visual to sort of pair up with what your lyrics are. Um, I, Neil Young said something about not wanting to explain songs because it's out there, whatever people get, they get. And he's cool with that. He didn't always want to explain that old man was not about his dad, right? <laughs> it, was, it was about the dude that he bought the ranch from. Uh-huh. Um, what are your thoughts on on wanting to, to make sure people know exactly what you're talking about. Well, I don't think you can, I mean, like, I don't mind talking about what something's about, including, including saying that I don't want to tell you what it's about, if that's how I feel. <laughs> but, but, the, but the thing is, yeah, I'm not, uh, 
I mean, I'm not really sure what the question is. What are my feelings on on whether people understand what it's about or not? Yeah, yeah. Like, do you want them to always know? Oh, I, I kind of think, a, a well, I think a good song has an aesthetic. You know, I have an aesthetic and I hit the mark or I don't hit the mark for myself. Like, whether you like it or not, that to me, that's, if you don't like it, I'm not going to cry about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing, I, I've got my aesthetic and it's more like, if I don't like it, I'm pissed off. And in fact, I might not like it and you might like it. And that doesn't make me happy. And that, and that happens too. And I, you know, I've done piano concerts where it was like, shit, that stunk. And someone said, wow, it was really great. And I, and I was angry and it was like, and that was, an, and, I, and I shouldn't be angry because, you know, cause it might've been totally fair, their experience, but ultimately all you're experiencing in life is you. Yeah. And how do you, how do you, how do you find the difference in ex, like in experiencing and, and the, the experimentation between the various mediums, like, you, you know, even songwriting versus composition for films versus, you know, writing the spoke or the written word. What's the beginning of that question again? Well, how well, in terms of, yeah. Like, like, like how for you is it different in, in when you're, when you're writing for film, writing, like composing for film versus writing music versus writing the written word? Well, there's like a couple of ways to look at that really. I mean, the, the 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 trick in some ways is uh capitalism so if i'm writing a song for myself you know capitalism's not part of part of the deal it's a, ah. about me me and the meaning i get out of writing the song whether it's instrumental or whether i'm singing but if you hire me to play uh, music on your film well then suddenly uh i have to think about your aesthetic and and, and the situation we're in that you're paying me to do this thing. And I, and, and it's happened many, I know I've had many experiences with, with people that are like sincere and not insincere where they say, yeah, do your thing. Yeah. We really like you. We want you to do what you do. And, and maybe I do. It turns out right away. They're freaked out. <laughs> and uh, which is fine. It just means, okay, so what's going on here? What do you actually want? And like, oh, you know, we just want you to do your thing, but sound like Radiohead. And like, okay, like, what, what is what's <laughs> Are you you're back with us? Yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't think I left. I thought Zoom just ended our meeting. No, no, there was there was uh uh you you were cutting in and out there, but uh like I said, well that that that's Greg's job to fix to fix how it sounds afterwards. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um I'm I'm surprised Greg has not asked this question. Greg Greg was in a band um back in the i want to say 90s because uh although 90s doesn't seem so long ago but but now it is uh but greg used to play the guitar greg well not the guitar i had a Korg poly 800 yeah that i used remotely yeah um and i thought greg you'd be so excited to talk to bob about your experience on that uh on that instrument well it's funny when you mentioned bob when you were talking about the painted uh keyboard I actually had, do you know, do you know Chris Mills, the videographer, the director? He's, he's worked, um, he's done, he did Modest Mouse Float On to start and he's done a bunch of, he's got a really unique um, style to the videos he produces, like uh, Broken Social Scene. Anyway, so back when we were kids, Chris actually hand painted my Capaldi 800 that I played remotely with a scene from blue velvet where Isabella Rossellini's nude on the front lawn. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was my, uh, 
my uh, my keyboard of choice for remote <laughs> when I was when I was playing. Right. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's Greg. Greg was in an awesome band back in the nineties. What was it called? The Life. Called the Life out of Oshawa. The Life was the band. Of yeah. Band. Um, the life from the schwa. From the schwa, the schwiggity. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I need to ask this question. I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but do you really have the key to Bruno, Saskatchewan? Is that a just? <laughs> oh man, I do. It's upstairs right now. So, like, I've never heard. Tell me about Bruno, Saskatchewan. Um, well, these two two artists who were, I think, Vancouver based. They were at a wedding in Saskatchewan, maybe near Bruno or in Bruno, uh, maybe in the early 90s. And um, and they kind of just did the math. They just took a look around and they realized that, you know, this small town was kind of dying from there not being, you know, the traditional taking over from the next generation. It was becoming, there were, you know, things were for sale and bankrupt and whatnot. And, I, and they were cheap because of that. And anyone who travels through Canada, like me, like musicians who tour, you, you you notice that in provinces like Saskatchewan and other places that there's a lot of small towns that have a lot of yesteryear um, buildings that are empty. So they just, uh, I think they bought an old uh, building. It might have been, uh, I don't remember what what it what its what its business was, but they bought bought this building and they turned it into a <laughs> a store called All Citizens, and then they. Um, started inviting different uh, people to come play. And, um, and when, uh, and so when they, and when I, so when I agreed to play, they, um, they were really excited um, and they, and they created a key to the city. Um, and they, I was touring with Jeff Burner. And so when we played together, they stopped our show in the middle of it and they had a ceremony where the mayor presented us with this like woodcut large key to Bruno and Jeff and I, you know, kind of haphazardly have traded it off each year ever since, like when he tours to Toronto or when I go to Vancouver and we make a little performance out of handing the key to back to each other. And then, then it's in our possession for the next year or two or three. And uh, yeah, uh, then they, they, at one point they had uh, Julie Duaron went and played there and they had, uh, and they made like a, an official Julie Duaron week, for in the town of Bruno to celebrate her coming to town. And uh, they were uh, very creative, um, uh, interesting artists, you know, doing what artists do. Nice. So do you, have you ever been back to Bruno? Do you can, yeah, do, you I ever, have. do, do you get like a free drink at the bar? <laughs> do you get there to sit no in the mayor's in office? Bruno, there's no bar. Yeah. There's no bar. <laughs> no, it's that small. <laughs> <clears throat> You get the speed. I hope you get the speed down whatever street yeah. runs, runs through. I think there's no cops. There's nothing there. <laughs> there's just the key and you've taken it. No, no, no. There's businesses. There's like a, <laughs> there's three or four or five or six things. But Yeah. Like you've worked with so many different musicians. We talked about with Ron Sexsmith. Like, um, you know, how do you find you start working with musicians? Is it like they reach out to you or do you collaborate or, you know what I mean? And and then I guess the follow-up to that is who are some of the, or what, what were some of the favorite projects that you've worked on? Well, I've been working on a record for the last three years for Robert Priest. 
Um, and uh, and I hope we can mix it. I think we can. We were kind of we're getting ready to mix it when the kind of COVID nineteen crisis hit, but um, so we still might start mixing it shortly. Excuse me. It's a it's a record I'm uh, really stimulated with. I think it's a great record. I made a record. Uh, I had a friend who was a mentor to me named Sam Larkin who died in uh, 2013 and that was a, a I've worked with lots of people who don't have much money and um, oh. and I don't say no if I'm into it and they don't have money but it just takes a lot longer to finish if that's the case and so Sam had nothing and he was dying and um, and he was an older man and um, so I started that for him in 2009 and then he and he died in 2013 before the record was finished, and it was a real shame he never got to hear it because uh, I I was really I produced a record for him. One of the first records I produced for anybody was for him in the 1980s, and he and he was very grateful and he loved that record and he told me many many times how much how, how much he loved it, how he felt it was the best thing he'd ever done, blah blah blah. But I did that in my 20s uh, on an eight track and. Uh, and I and it was just a cassette release. And a part of me, as much as he would flatter me and tell me how much it meant to him over many years, I used to think, shit, the guy has no idea what I can do in the studio and what I could do to his songs and what I'd like to do. So I, when he was dying and I saw him again, I had and I, and and I loved him. Uh, I was like, well, hey, you know, let me make you another record. And and I was just so looking forward to. I just wanted to kind of blow his fucking mind, like you know, surreal sad moment in life to me that that this guy who i really loved and admired yeah. didn't uh didn't didn't hear any of it and it was oh. just it's just such it's an interesting journey if you have a chance to link to it or take a listen mm. it's on youtube and it's on spotify but it's uh on youtube it's the record's called the secret songs of sam larkin um <clears throat> so uh, there's a, a lot of people and, you know, people either call me or or I approach them. If I see someone and they knock me out, I, I often ask if they want help in the studio. Or you, um, <clears throat> you write in your book yeah. people that are alive that you'd love to work with, and um, <laughs> yeah. you, you you talk about <clears throat> well, that's uh, like three years ago. Like some of them have probably already died. Since, I think I think one or two of them died. One since of them, that entry, I think one but, of them had because there was there was an asterisk. Um, yeah. But Neil Young is still alive. And uh, he's like, he's, I, I, I love all of his types of music that he's ever done. Um, yeah. I, I love the chances that he takes. I just love that. It's like, it's like a big F you. Let me, I'll just do what I, I feel like doing. Um, but I feel there's almost like a kindred spirit between, between you and him. But I wanted to ask you this because there's a saying that goes, you never want to meet your heroes. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that Neil Young is your hero. He might be, but um I know. I, I think you had a chance to meet him uh, at the Songwriting Hall of Fame a, a number of years ago. Because um, in your book, you talk about different things that uh, you're some of your favorite moments. Yeah. Um, that night at the Songwriting Hall of Fame. Yeah. How? Yeah. <laughs> not that's, in life. That's what that excerpt is, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, tell tell me about meeting Neil Young. Like who? I didn't. As, as, Sorry, I, I, I didn't meet him. I just, I was, at, I, I was at the songwriting hall of fame. Okay. A friend of mine 
it's a long story, but I had amazing tickets. I was sitting like three rows behind Neil Young and Daryl Hannah. Oh, wow. Um, and Bruce Coburn and Bernie Finkelstein. And Neil Young was with his manager at the time too, who just died like three months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was an amazing night. And, um, but your point is, I think you're trying to say to me, do I agree that it's kind of uh, something to be wary, leery of to meeting yeah. your heroes? Because I know you want to produce them as well. Sure. I, w- I would love to produce, you know, people, him or Ray Davies from the Kinks oh, wow. um, or, you know, or Joni Mitchell or, um, you know, people that like have knocked me out forever. Yeah, that would, that would be so awesome. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I can't, you can't answer it because I'm not in the room with those people. There's, okay. there's no reason they would want to, they, they have no reason to want <clears throat> to work with me, but, but I know, <laughs> man, do I ever know what I would do and how on fire I would be. Um, and I'm very envious, you know, of people who do get those opportunities, you know, like the Rick Rubens of the world, you know, if yeah. I had Rick Rubens position, boom, I would have done that. I would have called Johnny Cash too. Of course, like that, what, what would have been, what would be more cool than to try and like breathe life into someone who, you know, their worth in the world has, you know, Gordon Lightfoot. I would love to work with Gordon Lightfoot. I said something to Ron at one point, um, sexsmith about that because Ron's kind of friendly with Gordon Lightfoot. And he, he talked to me about like some of the problems that he has now and his, in his health and his voice and whatnot. And I kind of thought, I don't give a shit. I could, I could still make a great Gordon Lightfoot record. I mean, cause he's alive. I mean, uh, like I, I always thought if I got a chance to produce Leonard Cohen, I would just like not use any bass frequencies. You know, I would like just, cause his voice would already occupy that. Like I just don't need anything to interfere um, with that zone. Um, so, uh, but in answer to your question, um, you, um, as much as that's true about meeting your, you know, people that moved you, um, I guess if you live, well, I mean, I guess there's, I don't really have heroes, you know, so it kind of doesn't matter. Like, I mean, I, all, all those people have done musical things that have blown my mind. I kind of feel a certain loyalty to anyone who's blown my mind. You know, yeah. if they blow my mind, if they just blow my mind musically, um, then they can do really horrible things later. And it's uh, very confusing. It's very confusing to me what happens next if if a person does something horrible because I can't just write them off, no matter how horrible it is. And I can see that they did something horrible and that and that you should stay away from them. But the thing is, they did this other thing musically that totally you know reduced me to a babbling idiot. And like, if you do that to me on some kind of physical level i just feel like i owe you something and it's like i'm mm. always going to feel like i owe you something even even if later i hear you're a pig and you and you're rotten and whatever else you know <laughs> and and if that's true it's true if you're a pig and you're rotten so okay i guess you are but but anyways when you were 23 or 33 or 43 you did that thing and i'm not going to pretend you didn't do that thing that totally destroyed me yeah because you hit you hit the target man like it's incredible what you did there so it's very interesting, isn't it? The kind of how erratic yeah. some people's work is, you know, like mm-hmm. um, like someone did something in their 20s and then later in their 50s, they sound senile. And it's like, what? What's going on? Like, what? The, what how does this happen that you're not so much more powerful? Again and again, Warren Zavon's another one. Mm-hmm. Oh. Man, just destroyed me um, in terms of, you know, throughout the career, the songwriting. Uh, and... Uh, is who there you, who did you, who have you who have you gone into not expecting anything from? In fact, if anything, thinking there it wasn't going to be great, and then just blew your mind. 
who have I had that experience with? Yeah, like like you went you went in and you know <laughs> you you were thinking oh, this is gonna be nothing or I haven't heard great things or I wasn't expecting no. much and they just blew your mind. Um, well, I I feel like that happens a lot. Oh. Uh, um, like that's just one of the things that happens a lot in life. Huh. I mean, you know, the place the, the the real place where that happens is at the open stage. Mm. I mean, I love the open stage, and I and because 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 what happens is. You're and somebody gets up and I've never seen them before and they have a guitar and whatever they got an eye patch or a cowboy hat or they have a limp or whatever and I in my mind I have two or three ideas of who they are and what they're going to sound like and I think I'm so right and then as soon as they start sometimes and sometimes I'm right they were exactly what I thought but many times they were absolutely not you know, I thought they were going to be good and they're horrible. Or I thought they were going to stink and they, and it's like, oh my God, I can't. Put, and I live for that. I mean, I love being wrong. I love, because I, I love, because ultimately you are wrong. And it's like, it's wise to not lose sight of the fact that you don't know anything and you should just like keep it in check and, and see what actually is going to happen. Yeah. I, I need to go back to Neil Young because I'm such a huge fan. Uh, yeah, me too. Nice. Perfect. Greg, you could leave now. <laughs> um. Is what what song or songs did Neil Young blow you away with? Uh, well, there's lots. I mean, America Stars and Bars, Zuma, On the Beach. Mm. Uh, those were really big records in my life. I liked yeah. I liked the first record too, and I liked Everybody Knows This Nowhere. But <clears throat> uh, Stars and Bars and Zuma, they were really a big deal in my formative years. When I, I I was very excited when he did this notes for you. Um, I liked the Pink Cadillacs or whatever that group was called. Um, I liked uh, Trans and I liked the story behind Trans when I heard it years later that he was like playing yes. with the boat loader and all that because of his son yes. um, and technology. The Trans record I thought was awesome. I, my favorite thing on it was the song that was it's the first song. And it's the it's a, it's the first cut, and it's got congas on it for percussion, and it's it's just a great Neil Young song. I'm surprised it wasn't bigger. Um, you know, an int- a more interesting question might be what Neil Young don't you like or didn't you like? I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't into come to time. when it comes to time came out. I found it really blah. I really didn't, and it was huge. I was working in a record store, and like people were buying, you know, Four Strong Winds or whatever was on the radio for him at that time, oh. and uh, I found it really uh, uneventful. I found it kind of a dull. There's a, and one of the, one of the more recent ones since he's been with Daryl Hannah too I I heard and it was pretty slim pickings for me but at the same time like I said earlier the guy has blown me away he's blown me away a bunch of times and so even if he does something <clears throat> that I don't find so deep I don't give a shit I'm not uh, that's not that doesn't make me think that oh I don't sure. like him anymore I mean it's yeah. like it just makes me think okay I don't I don't know what's going on I don't know what he's <laughs> or, I mean I you know and so be it like why how should I know what's going on. But, uh, yeah, guy's done uh, some beautiful and, – and, of course, you know, I'm forgetting uh, and maybe, like, the mother load of all that is uh, Russ Never Sleeps. That also really totally yeah. destroyed me. Yeah, it's just amazing how he goes from, like, soft country-inspired music to he could, like, destroy, like, the, the best hard rock bands. I, I went to see him in Barrie uh, a number of years ago. And uh, Oasis opened up for him and uh, Oasis was killing it. And, but literally when he came on stage, the crowd just rushed the stage 
and the music just blew your your brain out. It was just so loud, so beautiful. Um, I fell in love all over again with with Neil yeah. Young at at that at that show. Um, are there shows that you've been to that have stuck with you through time? Yeah, two. Oh wow! <laughs> plus, plus many open stages. I mean, I love the open stage. I've been blown away there a lot, but. But the big shows in my life were uh, seeing Sun Ra in New York in 1985 and seeing uh, Laurie Anderson at an art gallery in Winnipeg in, I think, 1979 okay. as, a, as a teenager. That was kind of like, uh, those were the two kind of ecstatic uh, concerts. <laughs> that I, like, I couldn't speak the rest of the night. I was just, I didn't know what, was, what, what life was about anymore after I saw, I, but I knew I was part of, I knew I wanted to kind of, uh, be their friends. I've, I just, I knew I've had something in common with those guys. Nice. Um, I want to talk about music today and music up- upcoming. Um, Greg and I had a discussion, I think it was last week, Greg, about Spotify. We were talking about Spotify and we we're talking about how much money they're paying Joe Rogan and Greg's getting upset that our artists aren't making any money off of it. What are your thoughts on music today and how people are consuming it mostly through streaming? Good, bad, indifferent? Does it bother you? It doesn't bother me. To me, it's not a new story. <laughs> you know, musicians not making anything is an old story. Yeah. So people being upset about that in these current times, I kind of feel like, guys, have you been paying attention? I mean, like, it's just, even so, um, <clears throat> Daniel Eck as well. Is that his, how you pronounce his last name? The guy that owns Spotify? Yeah. <clears throat> um, He's a pretty interesting guy. And to me, he's not like a ripoff artist. I mean, he's been, if anything, he's been trying to do kind of the research to make it all work for the musicians and the record companies. Um, like the deal of being paid so little is a, is a, a lot of that I think has to do with, still has to do with like the relationship people have with record companies because they, they make royalty payments separate from what you make from streaming. But but, you know, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the distribution, the world of distribution was more of a, was kind of previously a monopoly. And now it's not. Everybody can be online. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're inundated with everybody. Um, but Spotify, you know, it, it's, it's pretty easy for you to be on the platform and to be available. Um, so a lot of musicians focus on, yeah, but it's like a, you know, 0.4 of a cent kind of thing and, and think that that's the end of the story. I don't think that's the end of the story. There's a great podcast interview um, with Daniel Eck on Freakonomics. I think it's from this year, from 2020. I was recently listening to it, but I kind of downloaded a bunch of the Freakonomics podcasts. So I don't remember mm-hmm. what sequence it's in. But <clears throat> I found him, you know, like he did, he started Spotify when he was like 23. I mean, he was just into Napster. He was just a working class kid. He just was like, he just kind of basically said, okay, I can spend $15 on a CD or I can make it free on the computer. Hmm. <laughs> and it was yeah. kind of just like a no brainer. And it's like, mm. and it's just basically describing the consumer experience. Um, so, you know, I, like, I think, uh, I think his, I think his position is to try and position the artists to, 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 to be able to enter the arena of having their music heard then what you do next with promoting yourself, with traveling, with trying to uh, get more attention for your work, that's more your job or your job with other people, whether that's publicists or record companies or whatnot. 
So I don't think like a lot of people frame the whole story as though it's about how much you get from SoCan when you're played, how much you get from Spotify when it's streamed. And, uh, and a lot, and there are many people who feel like that's a fight that they're going to somehow win and stop streaming. And it's like, guys, that's, that's been over for more than 10 years. The CD's dead. Like, sorry. Like, I mean, ask someone who's, you know, who was born after 1980 and they'll tell you, you know, like it's, that's the difference. There's a cutoff where people are in, uh, there's another angle to all this again, which is capitalism, which is the fact that, uh, we're trying to figure out often how to make money from music and, uh, which is fine, but, but it's, it's interesting in the COVID-19 thing that Mm. it's suddenly a little bit short circuited that like, Oh, we're all kind of a little bit frozen out of making use of the capitalist system that we're in. We're kind of seeing the capitalism suddenly frozen for a second too. The, The capitalism that's otherwise kind of wallpaper kind of invisible as we go about doing everything else and everyone's trying to figure out oh how do i how do i get by right now because capitalism stopped <clears throat> like what's what i love about that is the fact that capitalism is natural i mean that's something people invented and yeah. we're busy living with it as though it's some natural thing and uh so and the same with music like it's like creating music and doing that it, it, it you know um it might just be about making music <laughs> right. it could, might just be about the joy and and what's fantastic about making that. There are many people for whom it's only about, you know, what money could I make from that or about their fantasy of what that song will do financially. Congratulations. But that seems kind of like madness to me if that's like your primary. True. I think the primary thing should be the pleasure out of the aesthetic of, of saying something or creating something instrumentally that's powerful. So I don't see streaming as a, a threat. I see it as like you know what's going on as like the the, the kind of contemporary situation of how music is delivered <clears throat> and how it's consumed and how it's acquired and how it works out economically. And you know I don't know you know I don't know what the end of the story is going to be, but it's not a new story that there's hardly any kind of give oxygen to like being angry about that. It just doesn't seem like like you're really seeing the big picture. Fair. What do you think of? I'm curious to get your your opinion on on what's on the radio. Well, not the radio anymore, but what kids are listening to. Um, yeah. Everything from like Drake to Billie mm-hmm. Eilish. What, what do you think of pop music today? Well, you know, like a, like a, because everybody can be online, and because everybody is. <laughs> um, there's too much. There's too much to really <clears throat> answer that question as though I know what kids are listening to. Mm. But I noticed the things that are being sold, you know, as, as the new stuff, you know, like I, you know, I, you know, I know what they, how Drake is being sold and how Billie Eilish is being sold. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of artists that are actors. There's a lot of artists that are, that are models that are like, you know, that are like manufactured musicians right so basically those don't hold really any value to me those are kind of like embarrassing those are kind of like they make me feel kind of awkward that a bunch of people are thinking that those are musicians and that they're like you know including my daughter you know like as she absorbs the stuff that she's hearing and and on the radio that other kids are into and um but i'm not angry about it or anything because i kind of i mean when i grew up 
my brothers, as I was mentioning to you earlier in this interview, you know, their records, I had their records at my disposal. And a lot of it was Beatles and, um, and the, and the Beatles, the Beatles were amazing. And I, and I grew up thinking they were popular and successful because they were so amazing. It's only like many, many years later that I realized, oh, it just happens to be they were amazing at the same time. But they were just a young kind of like, they were sold largely because they were a boy band and they were sold in the same kind of capitalist system as, 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 as Drake is sold or as other kind of popular young things are sold to people as this is what you should buy. And it's like, it never dawned on me that like, well, the Beatles might've also just been another like object like that for, to, with mass appeal because they were so good. I kind of thought, no, this is the, everyone loves this because it's so powerful, but that's not the case. It's just, it's just, just really fortunate. It's just really interesting that they happen to be really great because that's exceptional. That's not generally the rule at all. That's what you end up realizing, or at least that's what, how I see it as life goes on. So, so, you know, things will always be propped up that are hollow. There things will always be, you know, at any given time in the arts, in all the arts, whether it's music or theater you'll have all sorts of people that are successful that are not very good. There's all sorts of like really mediocre things that are celebrated as being the shit that aren't the shit, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and a certain amount of people are really incredible. And I, that's just part of life. There's, and not everyone sees, and for a lot of people, the way I'm speaking doesn't make sense for a lot of people. The things that are the mainstream success stories are very legitimate and deserved. And that's fine. That's the way life is, but there's, there's a, smaller amount of people for whom uh great art is is made by a smaller amount of people and it's really kind of thrilling i think in that second camp when you recognize that someone who actually has the goods gets acknowledged you know like like it's like the difference of uh, tom cruise winning an oscar you know or or uh or daniel day lewis it's kind of like oh <laughs> daniel day lewis <laughs> you blew my mind like it's kind of like what they nominated tom cruise it's like you know it's like it makes you feel uh, upset it's, you know like in terms of what could happen it was almost like that it was almost like that uh that movie that was recently made oh my goodness by this uh huge director oh my god it was on netflix and it was nominated for an oscar oh geez it was so bad i can't even remember it the, the Italian, the Irish, the Irishman. 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 Thank you. It was like, oh, here's an opus. The Irishman. I cannot get my three hours back. I watched that piece of garbage that was nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it was. Um, that was nominated for an mm-hmm. Oscar. And, that, and then I find out, Bob, like similar to you, you find out how there's a machine behind a, a lot of these things. And it's the machine that propped up the Irishman to be nominated for so many awards um and it's like i i'm you know there are movies like you said similar to the beatles as a band where the winner was actually a great movie um but uh yeah after this past year i i I am not impressed with whomever gets nominated so flipping that on its head and you were talking about you know the, the great music that's out right now what are you listening to right now like what's in your earbuds um, well, you know, there's a mixture of old and new things. Um, and, uh, sometimes when people ask me that question, I always feel, um, pressure to like, you know, it's, it's almost like people want to know, what are you listening to? That's modern. That's current. No, and, not necessarily uh, modern and current. Just like, what, what are you, what are you listening to? What's inspiring you today? 
Um, okay, well, I was just going to... Um, well, I just wanted to say, like, one of the things that, uh, that really knocked me out in recent times, um, it's already 20 years old, but I didn't hear it the first time, which was the college dropout by Kanye. And, um, huh. and when I started listening to that, it kind of just, I couldn't believe it. Because the way I saw Kanye West <laughs> is just for like the kind of, you know, uh, all, you know, he's, he's a good example of what I was saying earlier. I mean, he didn't blow me away. All I saw was him as, as a celebrity and the character. And, and I heard him say, well, he just did all sorts of horrible things that I've noticed as anyone does during the last couple of years, you know, things that he's said about mm -hmm. African-Americans from that to his like support of Trump or defense of Trump. It's like, what is this guy, you know, what a loser. And, uh, and then I heard this record that he made, the college dropout. <laughs> and I couldn't, and I was like, I was, I was, it killed me, it killed me the way a great, any great record kills you. I mean, I was, I was beside myself. I was like, I was telling everybody I knew who also might've missed the boat like me the first time. And, uh, and I started, you know, checking out more of his work and it left me very, left me ultimately super confused, you know, cause like I said, I feel <laughs> a real allegiance to anyone who blows me away. And I, you know, I can't deny the guy just totally fucking blew me away with what he did musically and sampling wise. There was a premise many times in the world of hip hop that people have tried to kind of brag about the kind of virtuosity that people have brought to sampling, blah, 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 blah. I haven't really heard many examples that really blew me away of, of people demonstrating this, you know, amazing musicality with that. And yeah, he totally, he does it, just that he delivers. It's so it's so, uh, it's just so impressive uh, musically. It's so interesting. Lyrically, it's so cool. The, the, you know, just the kind of, the kind of humor in that record, the kind of uh, narratives that he makes in that record, the, the kind of theatricality in that record. Uh, oh man, I just, I loved it. I just loved it. Cool. So anyways, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, you know, I listened to that a lot. Um, I, um, I, you know, I was born in the '60s. I grew up in the '70s. The music of the '50s I always thought was very hokey. I didn't like any of it. <clears throat> and later in life, I kind of started to realize there's a lot of value to a lot of the stuff in the '50s. I couldn't, I couldn't hear it when I was a younger person. But as I became older, I started to hear. As you get older, you start to realize that everybody was was young, and everybody becomes old, and you start to understand the universality of the way a person is positioned to be, you know, a teenager, whether it's in, you know, the 17th century or right now, you know, like you, there's certain things that are kind of just uh, hormonally, genetically yeah. happening that you kind of can understand as a human being have to do with the conditions of a human being. And so, you, you know, when you hear that music of the fifties music and you realize that, Oh, those four kids are standing around one microphone and they're freaked out that they're in this space and there's, and they're and the creativity of the way they're singing and all that. I find uh doo-wop really amazing um, huh. to listen to. And uh, um, <clears throat> I like, uh, I like a lot of things. There's just, there's just I'm sorry. I, I pause because there's just like so many different things I listen to. Yeah. I listen to kind of how authentic I find it or I listen to like what's going on arrangement wise. I've listened for tricks that I might use myself in the studio uh, or I listen to like, you know, the emotional 
believability. Of, and I listen to like how a person says what they're saying. Dylan released a record recently, or released mm-hmm. a song recently about ostensibly about the way Kennedy, John F. Kennedy was murdered. And it's a 10 minute long song and, or maybe it was a 20 minute long song. It was like huge. And, um, wow. and I, and I noticed, uh, you know, a lot of people reacted to it and it was very interesting to me, <clears throat> the people who reacted with hostility, uh, versus the people who reacted with, um, you know, excitement. And, uh, uh, you know, that's just life being life, you know, just the way it is. I, I found it really, I thought it was really interesting that he did that. I thought it was a good song. Um, certain things that always knocked me out, I go back to over and over again, you know, like, uh, uh, Nina Hagen, uh, Meredith Monk, um, Joni Mitchell, the Beatles, Dylan, Neil Young, Leonard Cohn, Randy Newman, Warren Zabon, uh, those things I, I return to a lot, like, uh, in my life, you know, every year I go through times where I get locked into like consuming you know different things that those people have done again for the 10 millionth time Mm. because uh because it does it delivers the same thing inside me it does something chemically it kind of it it lifts me up it repositions me it it invigorates my own writing again you know um warren zabon i came to later in life by surprise you know i i heard him a few times and didn't really do anything for me and then one day about 10 years ago i heard one of his songs by accident I don't think I knew who it was. <clears throat> and it had a lyric that I found amazing. The song is called Lawyers, Guns, and Money. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, and then I saw it was by him. And I realized, whoa, I'd never, it never hit me before like that. But it just totally hit me. And then I just went on a, uh, I just, I started consuming everything by Warren Zavon for like the next four years. And, that, and that's all I listened to almost for four years. He died he died about 20 years ago now, mm-hmm. but I just, uh, I just felt like I found a friend, you know, that I, wow. you know, had missed. I have to ask you this, Greg and I have the, a running joke about the, uh, the album rumors by, uh, by Fleetwood Mac. The Fleetwood Mac record. Yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts on that album? Not a big one for me. They weren't, <laughs> okay. weren't a big band for me. I don't I mean, you know. <laughs> is that, I don't even know. Is that the one with Rihanna? Like the hit songs? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's all the hit songs. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, you know, they're kind of interesting, but I mean, I was a teenager at that time. So, you know, that record was kind of omnipresent in my teenage world, as was, you know, um, Led Zeppelin's uh, Stairway to Heaven. And and, uh, and as was, you know, all sorts of things by Elton John. And and all of it, I just felt allergic to, you know, I just wasn't, wasn't really... I was into stars and bars when it came out in 1976 and nice. and, I, and I, and I was into after the gold rush and I was into desire by Dylan when it came out in 76 as well. And those things just fed me a lot more. And, uh, or even when, uh, Joni Mitchell made Hijira with Jaco Pistorius, that was like, boom, those, those just killed me. They just knocked me out. That, I, that's what I was consuming at that time. So, I mean, I noticed those, you know, like, I, I mean, they, I, I didn't like despise them like the way I despised Elton John, but I, uh, <laughs> but I, but they did, they, they, they didn't, weren't, weren't big for me. Mm-hmm. Cool. If anyone uh, made a bet with me that, uh, we would be talking about how awesome Kanye West was, um, I would have bet against that, but, and would have lost a lot of money on, uh, on that. Um, Bob, this has been awesome. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Your book, Bob Wiseman, Music Lessons. Um, everybody should get it. It is uh, funny. It is insightful. It'll uh, it'll make you go hmm. Like uh, uh, and and it's it's it's, it's just awesome. Um, other than that, Bob, I don't know. I, I know you have a website. I don't know if you want to plug that as well. Uh, well, you know, it's bobweisman.com. It's pretty simple. Awesome. Okay. Well, Bob, thank you so much. This was fun. Yeah, thanks, Bob. My pleasure. Nice to meet you guys. Likewise. Thanks. Bye. Cheers.